Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, November 5th edition of ATS Radio. My name is Adam Burke. I'll be your host for the next hour or so as we chat with professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. We're talking about week 10 of the college football season, week 9 of the NFL season. We'll go over some power ratings, some picks, game predictions, game breakdowns, all that sort of thing here on today's show. We had a lot of stuff going on over at ATS.io right now. Lots of picks and predictions articles for college football and the NFL. I wrote a big, long Breeders' Cup Classic preview this morning over at the website, so make sure you check that out. New promotions up over at PointsBet Sportsbook for this week. Some good stuff in advance of the Clemson versus Notre Dame game and also their regular weekly promotions over there at PointsBet. So go to the Sportsbook promotion section over at ATS.io. Take a look at all of the different offers that are available here for this week across the market. And of course, make sure you download the ATS app as well. You can get that in the Google Play Store. You can get that in the Apple Store. It is a bet tracker, but it is a whole hell of a lot more than that. Stats, odds, information, article integration from the website. Lots of great things at your fingertips there in that ATS app, which again, you can find over at ATS.io or you can find in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store, depending on whether or not you have an Android or an iOS device. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. And Brad, how's it going today, man? It's going well, man. How the heck are you doing? Eh, you know, hanging in there. A lot of stuff going on here this week. A lot of market movement here this morning, as you and I were talking about. Obviously, still trying to figure out who actually won the presidential election. Good week for sports betting, though, nationally. Three states allowing legalized sports betting. Nebraska allowing games of chance, which will open the door down the line for them to legalize sports betting. So in 2021, we're going to add several more states to the mix, Ohio probably being one of them. So good week from a sports betting standpoint, at least. Uh, Of course, you know, the global market's lighting up with election betting as well. But uh, you and I are going to focus here on college football and the NFL and In fact, we're going to start here with a focus on the Pac-12. The MAC got underway on Wednesday night. We talked about that conference on last Thursday's show. The MAC will begin play here on Saturday, very early, mind you, on Saturday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, Arizona State and USC. But let's sort of run through our power ratings a little bit, run through some bullet point thoughts on some of these teams here. And starting with me, I've got Oregon and USC both power rated as an 83 here at the top of the conference. I got Oregon slightly higher. Uh, those are certainly my top two teams. Uh, about Oregon, uh, about a point and a about a point better. Uh, they were about three points better than USC, but obviously three key starters out for the Ducks. I downgraded them a couple points. We'll get to the game, but it looks like the market significantly downgraded uh, the Ducks after uh, a couple other key players went out, but. I think anybody at least doing this uh, from a power ratings aspect is going to have the the Ducks as the best team in the North and USC the best team in the South. Well, and as we move down the line here, I think we'll just stop and talk about one team for a second, and that's Utah. Because I think after Utah, you kind of get a lot of teams that are, you know, not separated by a whole lot. Maybe you've got Washington uh, closer to Utah than I do. I've got Washington four points behind Utah. Washington would be a seven-point dog on a neutral to Oregon and USC for me, but Utah at an 83-point dog on a neutral to the two teams we just talked about, Oregon and USC. So is that kind of how it sets up for you? You got a, you got Oregon and USC together, then Utah, and then a little bit of a gap towards Washington? 
No. Uh, obviously, a gap after Oregon and USC, uh, maybe not big enough. We'll see. I, I got a lot of overlays in this week's game, so I'm going to have to do some significant adjusting uh, compared to the, the let's see what happens uh, th- this weekend. But I got Utah and Washington within a, about a half a point of one another. I'm guessing I'm a little bit more higher on Washington in the marketplace. I really like Jimmy Lake, their their new head coach, who was their DC there. Uh, but a lot of people hate the, his offensive coordinator hire. So I'm guessing that that's going to be one of the positions that I take. And I could tell because I got a huge overlay in the, in the Washington Cal game in favor of Washington. So, uh, yeah, I got those two a little bit closer. But clearly, the, the, that's three and four as far as me in the Pac-12. Well, and the thing about a team like Washington, and we talk about this a lot, you know, the sexy teams get the benefit of the doubt. Washington's just not really a sexy team. You know, they play a lot of no. defense. They win a lot of low-scoring games. You do wonder about their offense now. They don't have Jacob Eason anymore. But I think you could make a case, and a lot of people have made the case, that even though Eason was drafted, that – you know, he was kind of underwhelming up there in Seattle. So maybe their offense gets a little better uh, from that. But, you know, as you said, you know, some questions about the offense here for Washington. And, and that's probably the primary difference between my power rating and yours. Yeah, I mean, they didn't wow me offensively really since 2016. I mean, Browning, a quarterback, you know, never really got better. He is what he was there for as a four-year starter. Eason you know, showed his great arm at some point, but, you know, they just didn't put it together. I mean, in some games you thought, I mean, this, I can make a case that Washington was the best team in the Pac-12 and then just consistency from, and a lot of it was Eason. Uh, You know, Chris Peterson, uh, I think a lot of people, you know, I thought he did a really good job there, but, you know, again, they, they, the upward trajectory wasn't there. Once they made the college football playoff in 2016, they haven't gotten any better. In fact, they've taken a couple of steps back and a lot of it's offensively defensively. They're still more than capable. And I credit that to Jimmy Lake, uh, who is now the head coach for them. And at least big thing for me, and this is why I follow it. I look and see what they're doing on the recruiting trail and Washington this year doing pretty well on the recruiting trail. So I expect maybe it doesn't happen this year, but I expect a little bit of a bump in that program here starting in 2021. Yeah, I got Washington a very slight favorite here against Cal in this week's game, and we did see a little bit of Cal money earlier on in the week. Uh, I've got Washington power rated a 76, Cal 73 and a half, Arizona State 73, and then Stanford 72. I get the feeling, and again, you mentioned this already, that I'm either low on Stanford or high on Oregon, and it could be a combination of the two here. But to me, Cal, ASU, and Stanford are all, to a degree, kind of interchangeable there in this conference. Yeah, gonna agree with you there. I mean, I got if I'm stack ranking them nationally and, and ranking the 127 teams that are playing right now, major college football, I have California 42, I have Stanford 43, and I have Arizona State 44. So, I mean, to flip a coin between those three teams. Uh, Stanford's had to, and this is why I'm surprised so much Stanford money's coming in. I mean, Stanford had three key guys, including their left tackle, opt out on the season. So, I mean, I, I, I certainly think the Cardinal are improved. Uh, but, but again, I dropped their power rating a point and a half because of their opt outs here in the recent weeks. California, a lot of sharp guys that I respect uh, are really high on the Bears. They had a key opt out on the defensive line, but. 
a lot of people really like Justin Wilcox and, and think that this is his best team that he's had. As long as they have a healthy quarterback, Chase Garbers, uh, I mean, when he was healthy last year, they were 7-0. and When he started a game, finished the game, they were 7-0. and And then you go to Arizona State. I think if you're going to ask me what team has the, the most upward trajectory, uh, I think it's the Sun Devils. Why? Because they got – I think they have – they figured out a quarterback. I really like Jaden Daniels. And there's been a lot of publicity that they have a stud true freshman running back. We're going to see him early on Saturday. Uh, if they're if they're settled at those two spots, I think uh, Herm Edwards and company can uh, surprise some people this year. Now, one team that uh, when I talked about the Pac-12 yesterday with Kyle Hunter, one team that we had a big difference of opinion on was Washington State. I have Washington State power rated a 70. He had them down at 66. So we had a four-point difference between the two of us which is pretty rare, especially early on uh, at the outset of, you know, of a season here, which is essentially what the Pac-12 is doing, just getting started. How are you looking at Wazoo this year? Because Nick Rolovich, it's not that different of an offense going from the air raid to the run and shoot. They will run a little bit more than Mike Leach did. Not dramatically different is going with a true freshman starting quarterback, which is kind of interesting, but also Rolovich, you know, he was very good at Hawaii. A lot of people kind of like his personality, sort of like him a lot as a coach, but then he got up to Pullman and he had some issues there right out of the gate, uh, you know, with some of the black lives matter things and stuff like that. So you wonder about chemistry within the program. Is is this just a team you're staying away from here early on, or do you feel like you've got a pretty good handle on them? I got him 69 as far as a power rating and I'm zero to a hundred with a hundred being at the top, pretty much that that's the basic formula there. Uh, And the the bottom teams right around 40. So uh, it's not like it's, you know, the bottom team zero, obviously if you're going to point spread. So yeah, middle of the road team nationally, obviously well below average when you're just considering power five. So yeah, I expect them to take a, a major step back this year, even though I like Rolovich. Uh, I, I really like the job he did at Hawaii. I, I like his personality. I like that he follows me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not biased because you know why? I bet against him this week. I, I, I like Oregon State this week. I'm, I'm going to fade Washington State with a new head coach, limited practice, some off-field kind of issues there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy Oregon State who I have right with both teams almost equally in my power ratings, but give a little bit of home field advantage. And then just the situation here, I like the Beavers uh, to beat the Cougars. Keep in mind, I mean, the the Beavers should have beaten the Cougars last year. I came down to to, to multiple overtimes and Oregon State, uh, you know, losing by one point. Yeah, I like Oregon State a little bit this year too. I think Jonathan Smith's done a fantastic job there uh, in Corvallis with that team. What about the bottom of this conference here? UCLA, Arizona, Colorado, any buy signs with any of those three teams? If there would be one, it'd be UCLA just from a talent aspect, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson, their quarterback, if he finally figures it out, stops turning the football over. I I think they probably have the highest upside. I want to fade Arizona. Kevin Sumlin's done a bad job so far, and I don't think it gets better this year. They had several opt outs for them. uh, Several starters. Colorado first year coach hired very late in the process. I'm not even a big fan of Carl Durrell. Uh, so yeah, it's certainly Arizona and Colorado, two teams I'm looking to go against. Although very intriguing to me is even though I would say UCLA has got the highest upside, Colorado's the worst team. I got a huge overlay in that game this week where it says Colorado clearly is the play. So 
Uh, in-game for me, no pre-flop. I think in normal circumstances, I'd be firing on Colorado, but uh, right now, no pre-flop bet in that one. Yeah, I got Colorado plus two in the markets at six and a half. So that, that's definitely an overlay here for me in this one. Uh, not as big of an overlay as Stanford, Oregon, but you know, you and I were much closer to the opening number. It's been all the action that's come in on Stanford that has driven us, uh, you know, driven our numbers away from what the market is. But you know, overall here, just some overall, you know, uh, you know, a summation here of the Pac-12. One thing that really stands out to me is of the Power Five conferences. This is the weakest, I think, from a coaching standpoint. And I think the reason being is that, you know, Mario Cristobal, I think, kind of changed my mind a little bit to a degree last year, but still not completely sold on him. Nobody's sold on Clay Helton. Everybody yeah. loves Kyle Whittingham. We all know that. Jimmy Lake was a good defensive coordinator. Does he translate to being a good head coach? We'll kind of wait and see. Wilcox is good. Edwards is good. I don't know how great of a head coach David Shaw is. And of course the bottom half of this conference, you know, not a whole lot of proven guys or just guys that we want to look to go against. Great point. Yeah. No, no question about it. Of the power five. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't think it's the weakest talent. I mean, there's some teams that are super talented and Oregon certainly recruiting at a very high level, uh, but, but coaching leaves a lot to be desired. And I'll say now that I live out here, I, it just doesn't, you, the SEC's got the model. It just means more. I'm telling you, it don't mean much out here It at the PAC 12. It don't mean much. I, I just, they, they can bitch piss and moan on how, you know, East coast bias and whatnot. And, and some of that's probably true to a certain extent, but you know, a lot of people ask me, how do they get better out here? You got to care. It's got to mean something. I mean, it's literally life and death in the SEC where you and I are from the state of Ohio. Football is life. Uh, and it's just, that's not the, the attitude out here. And, you know, it could be, you know, for depending on where you fall, yeah, I'm not, not trying to make it politically, but just uh, philosophically, life-wise, maybe that's a good thing. It's not life and death. But I'm telling you, if you want to compete against Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, it better mean a hell of a lot more to, to compete nationally. So I think coaching, you're right. Very astute, sharp point by you. And I just think overall culture out here, uh, just I'm not, not as good as what, what it is back in the East and the South. Well, and lastly here, as far as I know, there will be no fans in any Pac-12 games. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong with that, but that's another thing too about this conference. You know, we've got Colorado and Utah, obviously in some form of elevation in Boulder and Salt Lake City, but you know, Tempe is a very hard place to play. Very crazy fan base. Uh, you know, Arizona State known as one of the best party schools in the country. Yeah. Well, that won't be a thing this year. You know, going up to Eugene, always a tough trip. Going up to Seattle and take on Washington can be tough. Pullman's tough to get to. Corvallis yeah. is tricky to get to. All that kind of thing. Not as much home field advantage here in this conference this year. So I kind of wonder how that dynamic's going to play out, too. Very good point. Uh, you know, I will say that there are some really good atmospheres. Uh, and then, you know, Arizona State, a lot, some of their home field, at least early on in the season, heat. I mean, yep. it's 100 degrees. Uh, now that you're starting in November, you don't have to worry about that as much. So, yeah, I'd certainly a less of a – maybe more of a downgrade from a home field aspect than, than any other Power 5 conference. I Big 10 as well, uh, obviously. And then, you know, they are playing. It just isn't this week. I think they have several of those 9 a.m. kickoffs in some of their bigger games. And to me, I, I mean, I just 
I, I think, especially you got a bigger underdog and a 9 a.m. kickoff. I just, I, I'm not looking to back a lot of big favorites in those games, starting with the SC Arizona State game. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, especially in week one, you know, where you're just starting out, you know, you've got, maybe you've been on this practice schedule or, or something like that, but still, I mean, it's just been, everything's been weird about this year to begin with. And now you start by playing a 9am game and, and maybe play a few of those in a row. I mean, that's, that's a very difficult thing. So I don't know. I, I feel like to me at the outset here, and I know you mentioned you've got several overlays in this conference this week already. I'm not going to feel super confident in the pac 12. I don't think for at least a few weeks here. Yeah. And then the problem is, I mean, it's halfway and then it's halfway through the season. <laughs> right. So, uh, I, I normally I'd be, you know, firing in bets left and right, but you know, I'm going to take a wait and see, uh, with, with a lot of it, but yeah, I, I, I don't like nationally the aspect. I mean, even if a team went seven and and ran the table, I mean, it's going to have to be a very dominating seven and for them to overcome, you know, the other con, you know, the ACC, uh, the SEC and, you know, if Ohio state continues their, their path, I, I just, to me, I'm almost, I would rather have like a Cincinnati if Cincinnati continues to beat the best teams in the American by a significant margin. I mean, I I'd take Cincy over anything I'd see out of the Pac-12. I mean, that's just a guess moving forward. All right, let's run through a handful of games here for week 10. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit on Wednesday's show about the Wyoming-Colorado State game. Wyoming, three, three and a half, depending on where you look. Total up to 54 and a half most places. But I want to talk about this Utah State-Nevada game because – Two weeks ago, Boise State was laying a number either smaller than this or similar to this, depending on where you look. Now Nevada's laying it against Utah State. 17 and a half, and even some of the squarer global shops out there have gone to 18 on this game. And the idea that in two weeks' time, Nevada can be a bigger favorite than Boise State against Utah State is is just, it's crazy to me. And it, it got us talking before we started recording here about just the, the mindset of the market in general and that maybe Utah State, a team that absolutely nobody wants to bet on, so this line can just be a runaway train and get to a place that, you know, realistically, it probably shouldn't be. Yeah, it's one of my biggest overlays of the week. And look, I've significantly downgraded Utah State, and I've upgraded Nevada. Uh, Nevada's look good. I, I mean, I don't think that they've looked like the second coming. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, they, they've looked s- certainly very capable. And, and look, Utah State's been very bad, but they played Boise State and San Diego State, maybe the two best teams, probably most likely the two best teams when it all shakes down in, in the conference. So, yeah, they got beat up by the two best teams. I, I just – seems like a, a huge overreaction to me. Uh, I – I'm, I'm not going to release it, but you know, I'll, I'll have some small potatoes on Utah state. It's just, it's too big a, a, of a, an overlay for me, not for me personally, not to have a little bit uh, of action on it. Yeah. I mean, my line's 11 on this game. I, I don't know if I have the heart to bet Utah state, but this is another one where last week, I mean, the line for Nevada against UNLV just kept shooting up and, and maybe people really love Nevada out there. Maybe there's somebody with a great amount of influence that loves the wolf pack. I don't know, but I, I just, I can't wrap my head around within a two week span, Nevada being a bigger favorite than Boise state in this matchup, because 
I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I got Boise and Nevada a, a pick them on a neutral or anything like that. Oh, fact, I had my biggest bet of my life on Boise. Right. Yeah. It, it's not even close. So I, I don't know. I don't know if this is, is a commentary on the market and the amount of public money that's in it now, you know, especially across the country here in the U S and of course, you know, obviously globally, I, I don't, I don't know, but when I see something like this, it, it frustrates me. It pisses me off because the, the last thing that I want being an analyst in this business is something that I can't explain. And I, I just, I can't explain how this line gets to this point when probably two weeks ago, if this is the first Mountain West game, it's what, Nevada minus three, something like that? <laughs> Close, maybe. I You could talk me into maybe it was six. Uh, but I go back to that Boise State-Nevada game, you know, with that line right around there. I mean, I watched that game. I mean, maybe people aren't watching. I mean, yeah, Utah State didn't look good, but in the middle of the fourth quarter, it's a 28-13 to 13 game. I mean, with like seven, eight minutes left, it's 28-13. So it's not like they, they, they lost, you know, 49-0 in, in the game. So, yeah, I, I there, there's a lot of overlay this week that I'm not understanding. And what happened, you know, briefly, I, I'm normally I'd be like, you know, say F it, F the market. I mean, you got to respect the market, but I'd be like, I trust my power ratings. I'm having a, a really good college season. I'm just going to stick it to it. But then you had a conference start up last week or last night, and I went 0 and 3 as far as big power power ratings overlays. So I, as much as I disagree with the market, I'm going to be cautious because even the Mountain West is still only game three, and there's still some things that you got to figure out as far as I'm concerned. Well, and now the tough thing is, and you and I were talking about this off air, is this a you know higher than normal? reactionary market because it's a COVID year and because it's just, you know, we kind of look at it and say, okay, well, this team has played really well. We can trust them. There's obviously something wrong with the other team, you know, COVID, all this craziness where I'm just betting this team I can trust. Or is this something that is a fundamental change now in the betting market to really react to what happens to have these perception biases and these recency biases. And if it is, well, that's going to dictate how I update my power ratings week in and week out going forward. And the problem is I don't know, and I won't know until seeing what happens next season. So it's it's kind of frustrating, you know, and I talked about this on Monday's show. I had some big power ratings overlays last week, and they all went in the shitter. The only one that looked really good was Texas, and that's just because they won a game they shouldn't have based on the box score. So I don't know, but again, it's it's one of those things that I, I have to figure out the answer to. And the problem is we may not know the answer until, you know, 10 months from now. Yeah, I don't think you are. I mean, I would say, you know, if I had to guess, I would say it's more COVID than the market, at least at this point. But I do think the mar- the, the, the saturation of legalization and a lot more public money into it, it certainly plays a part. I, I don't think it's half of it. I think more than half is COVID just because I've seen the COVID plays and the numbers just really run on some of this news. But the public also plays a part uh, of that news, and they're betting into it. I would say this: if I'm giving you, and I normally I would say you should be giving me advice. I'm going to give you some advice as far as some power ratings. I would be slow to be, uh, you know, adjusting your power ratings significantly. Let the market overreact. You stay steady, uh, and I think you're going to come out ahead in the long term. Maybe you have more overlays next year. But I have a, a sneaky suspicion if it is the market overreacting on a weekly basis, 
you can fade that shit and make some money. Yeah, and and that's the thing. We'll we'll have to see. I mean, you know, I I remember the games where I was off market that I lost. I don't remember the games where I was off market that I won. You know, it's it's the true it, it's the yeah, poker bad point. beat story. You know, it's you always remember the bad beats. You can't remember the big hands that you won. You know, and yeah. you always remember the back door that you lost instead of the back door that you won. Stuff like that. So maybe it's just a perception bias on my end. You know, I I don't know, but it is something that you know will take a lot of work here in the off season. Uh, once we get to it but moving ahead to Friday's games here uh, you mentioned this uh, well actually we haven't talked about this game at all yet so far this week Miami and NC State Miami laying doubles on the road going to Raleigh total up to 59 for this one here Uh, any thoughts on this Miami and NC State game you know what I got at 11 Uh, I think the numbers are about good here I mean I would say history for me would say I'd probably want to lean dog, but I mean, I just, NC State's playing without Devin Leary, uh, who's out for a significant portion. They've been outscored and outgained on the season. I have upgraded Miami significantly this year, but they have, with that being said, they haven't wowed me in recent performances. Line looks about right. I, I didn't bet it. And again, I'm not afraid to, I mean, I bet 25 plays on Sunday, so I'm not afraid to, to fire in some numbers here. I just think that the number is pretty much on point. I got this one 10, so you and I are both in the same place here. And and one note I do want to make for listeners that maybe didn't listen to my solo show on Monday, I did upgrade my home field advantage across the board after that conversation that Brad and I had on last Thursday's show. I bumped everybody up a point pretty much, a few teams up a half a point. You know, my base home field advantage now two, which may still be low, but uh, I just want to make no, that point. I think point you're good with quick. two. I think you're good with two. Okay. I just wanted to make that point because, again, we, you know, we talked about it a lot on last week's show, and uh, I had some time flying back from uh, Portland from the, over the weekend with my wife. So, you know, I got to do some stuff on the plane coming back, and that was one of the things that I did uh, was upgrade my home field advantage a little bit. This Mountain West game on Friday night is all of a sudden very fascinating. San Jose State and San Diego State. San Diego State, nine, nine and a half, depending on where you look. Total 47 and a half. We talk about Nevada and we talk about Utah State. We talk about some of the impressive performances in this conference and some of the ones that have gone the other way. San Jose State looks pretty good right now. Again, you attach caveats to that, but Nick Starkle's got this offense moving the football. Certainly did last week against uh, you know New, New Mexico, although I think it might be more bad New Mexico than anything. I, New Mexico's really messed up as, as far as COVID, as far as I'm concerned, so I'm going to play against that a little bit. I, I lean San Diego State here. I got it at 10. Uh, I, I, I've been super impressed with them. Look, I wasn't a big fan of the Brady Hokeyer, uh, but they've looked the part so far. Again, who have they played? Utah State, UNLV. I mean, I'm not sure we can get much about that, but I, I, they, they've looked a lot like what they've looked like the last four or five years. And, and I get San Jose State's one and covered both of their games, but Air Force moved the football. Uh, against them uh, it just you know that that was kind of a fluky final there so and then with New Mexico being worse than what I expected even though I like their head coaching hire I think slight value here on the Aztecs I I haven't bet it yet but uh, nine and a half looks good to me I did bet the under I think San Jose State uh, uh, <laughs> it's gonna their offense uh, certainly is not gonna have nearly as much success as what they did last week I think the most impressive thing for San Diego State here so far, I mean, we know they've got good defensive personnel. Brady Hoke was in the program last year. We knew that they'd probably be pretty solid on that side of the ball. Their running game has been terrific thus far. And Brady Hoke is a guy that, you know, does have a background as an offensive line coach. And, 
know, maybe they've found a running back now, somebody kind of to, you know, refill that pipeline where they had, you know, Donnell Pumphrey and some yeah. of the other guys that they had go through that program, Juwan Washington. Maybe they've got, you know, another one of those guys cut from that same cloth now. And the thing about San Jose State is they've got to pass the ball to be effective. They've got an excellent receiver there in uh, Bailey Gaither. They've got Nick Starkle now, the SEC transfer. But if you go three and out a couple of times, you're probably not getting the ball back for like six, seven minutes playing wow. San Diego State. So I agree with your thought process on the under there. You're seeing some 48s pop in the marketplace right now. And I also agree that, you know, a game like this forces San Jose State to be really efficient offensively. If you don't believe they can do that, then you probably look at the nine or nine and a half on the favorite side. My line's 10, but I think that, you know, both of us are kind of uh, in a similar mindset here with this breakdown. Yeah, it's certainly a lean. It's not a big bet for me, but but if looking at the board right now, it's probably San Diego State minus nine, nine and a half would be my favorite play on Friday night. Now, we did a highlight video on uh, Wednesday's show of ATS Radio for this game, BYU and Boise State. Big game, so I do want to get Brad's thoughts here on this matchup. BYU minus three, total 61 here. BYU's covered six of the last eight head-to-head meetings. This is one in a favorite role, though, for them. What do you think about this matchup? So I bet BYU plus one circuit opener. I, I'm happy with that one at this position right now, though. Uh, I'm probably looking to play. I'm hoping it goes to three and a half. I'm looking to play back a little bit on Boise State. I'm not sure if you guys talked about this. BYU's in a weird spot this week. Obviously, already a short week, you know, one day less on a travel week with this game being on Friday. But they never practice on Sunday because of religious beliefs. And then very unique to this season, nobody in college football practiced on Tuesday with the election. So I got a BYU team that didn't practice a couple of days on a short week. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in taking Boise State only at plus three and a half. And obviously to me, I'm a big historical outlier type of guy. And I mean, Boise State's been a home underdog once in the last 15 years. Once. And, and they outright upset Fresno a couple of years ago. This is the second time in the last 15 years, they're home dogs. So three and a half would be a play, not a big bet, but, but it's certainly a bet for me on the Broncos. Well, and one of the things that we did talk about on that video is, you know, BYU is just stepping up in class in a big way here. I mean, Boise state is a quality team, whether it's Bachmeyer or yep. Sears at quarterback, you, you look at, you look back at BYU's games here. If we ran back BYU at Navy, they're easily a double digit favorite in that game. That one was you know minus one and a half or so. So, you know, we thought Navy would be better. They're clearly not. That would be a double-digit line. Troy was two touchdowns. La Tech was 24. UTSA was 34. If we ran back the Houston game, they'd probably be doubles on the road there again, even though that one was three. 29 at home against Texas State, over 30 at home against Western Kentucky. They've played a very weak schedule to this point. And now they're playing a Boise State team that, you know, while Boise hasn't really played any big data points themselves, they're a very solid, I mean, perennially, they're a solid football team. So that's what I want to see here. I want to see how BYU looks against somebody who's more comparable to them. And, you know, my line in this game is in that BYU minus three range. So I don't know if I'm going to have a full game play, but I kind of like Boise State first half just to see how BYU reacts to playing somebody closer to or maybe even on their level. Ooh, I like that. Uh I mean, I liked what they – look, they responded against Houston. In the second half, they trailed by 12, and they ran them out. But maybe that's more fuel for my argument. They played a Houston team that was decent, and the first half didn't look good for BYU. Mm-hmm. Good point. 
All right. Yeah, I, I could certainly see that. Yeah, Boise first half. All right. I Again, I mean, you know, that that's the thing. And I think it's tough to kind of evaluate that because at the same time, while BYU hasn't played anybody, they've also played up to or exceeded expectations. I mean, all you can do is play who's in front of you. Oh, yeah. I mean, but if five you, one and one against the spread yeah, and the right. crushing teams. Yep. Yeah, if you beat the hell out of teams you're supposed to beat the hell out of, well, I'm not, I, you know, should I hold your strength of schedule against you because you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do? And who has Boise State uh, played? So, right. well, I mean, this works both ways. I mean, they played two games, and I don't think much of Air Force this year. Uh, certainly not the same team as what they were a year ago. And then uh, I, I, playing Utah State, which the market hates. So, who has Boise State played? They're stepping up as well. No, that's an excellent point. Definitely an excellent point there. And as we get to some of these Saturday games here, we'll kind of bounce around the card a little bit. We'll do a couple of highlight videos uh, along the way here. But I do want to ask you about this North Carolina and Duke game, game 335-336, noon kickoff here in Durham. North Carolina up to 11 and a half. And in fact, we saw a little bit of North Carolina money here on Thursday morning. Total 63 for this game. Big rivalry game. Obviously, we think about the basketball rivalry more than anything else with North Carolina and Duke. But still, it's you know it's not like these two teams like each other very much. No, uh, two teams that kind of probably want to play on. They're just maddeningly inconsistent. I'll start with North Carolina. Uh, I mean, at, at some points, I mean, they look really good offensively, like one of the best offenses in the country. And then they just aren't putting it completely together. Maybe we should expect that in year two under Mac Brown. Uh, and last week was obviously disappointed. Duke, uh, I mean, it, it, it's all about turnovers with them. If they play relatively clean, I think the, the, they're much better than what the market uh, has them at. But uh, again, I don't, I got it at 12, no play for me, no pre-flop bet. Uh, very, I thought one of the more intriguing box scores that I've seen all season was that Duke Charlotte game. <laughs> where they, they only had the ball for, you know, less than 20 minutes, but, you know, they, they averaged about eight yards per play and, and they ran the football Duke did more often than they passed it. So uh, I, two teams I want to play on uh, facing each other and I'll just see how it works out this week. Yeah, I, I got this one 11. I mean, I'd have to take North Carolina, if anything, just because if Duke turns it over, North Carolina is probably going to score. I mean, there their offense go. is is incredible still. Their defense has been the problem this year. Their offense is still very, very good. Sam Howell is excellent. I love their coordinators. You know, I think Mac Brown does the job that he was hired to do. David Cutcliffe's an excellent head coach, but there's only so much you can do when you can't take care of the football. So if they turn it over, I think North Carolina turns it into points. So it'd be North Carolina or nothing. And maybe that's the reaction behind the line move here uh, for this one. What about the next game on the board? 339-340 as we go to the Big Ten here. Michigan and Indiana – Michigan three-point road favorite, total 54, 54 and a half for this one. I know that you're kind of a historical guy when it comes to looking at a lot of this stuff. And uh, the fact of the matter is Indiana has had next to no success playing against Michigan. I, I mean, yeah, Michigan's beaten Indiana 24 straight times. Uh, Michigan's favored in all 24 of those. So give them credit. Uh, for taking care of business, something they didn't obviously do last week against Sparty and their, you know, one of their rivals. But what I found most interesting is, you know, going back to the records, going back to 1980, this is the shortest spread ever for Michigan against Indiana. And, and I couldn't find anything less than six as far as spreads. Is Michigan historically bad 
No. I mean, they, they obviously didn't look good last week. Is Indiana historically good? They're certainly, it's one of their better teams that they've had, but I haven't been overwhelmed with Indiana, even though they're 2-0 for the first time in Big Ten play since, I think, 1991. Uh, Penn State game very misleading. And then I had a huge bet on Indiana last week, and uh, I wasn't overwhelmed with that game. Indiana was plus three turnovers. So even though my it's not a big overlay in my power ratings, I, I like the spot here for Michigan. I like the historical spot here. Wolverines will be a bet for me at minus three. Yeah, I like this one too. I got it four and a half. So, I mean, it's not like I'm crossing key numbers or anything crazy like that. But, you know, I I think that when you look at this matchup in particular, Michigan's better than they played last week. You know, I mean, they, Joe Milton moved the football. They had some very questionable play calling decisions. They had some things that just kind of didn't really work out in their favor. And, And that's the big thing. You know, it's, oh my God, they lost as a three touchdown favorite, you know, and all that kind of thing. Uh, bigger than a three touchdown favorite. And it's like, you know what? Okay. Shit happens, especially in college football. Indiana has had two really bad offensive performances and they found a way to win both of those games and found a way to cover last week, you know, against all odds. So, you know, to me, I I just sort of look at this one and I say, I agree with you. I, I think Michigan is cheaply priced here. I think if I find a flat three or something better than a flat three, I will go ahead and take the Wolverines in this game. Be interested to see where the money uh, comes here. Uh, if it stay, I mean, I'm thinking it's going to stay at three, but a lot of money showed up against Michigan on Friday uh, with Michigan State, which was surprising. And, and you'd have to consider it sharp considering how uh, bad Michigan State looked the, the week prior. But uh, be interested to see where this goes. Indiana was all – that line last week against Rutgers was all over the board. So, man, I'd like to wait out – hold out for a, a two-and-a-half, but – I hate to wait too long where, where it goes to three and a half. I'm just, you know, three's three's still a good bet for me, but obviously around a key number, you, you want to take a better position. Like I said, I'd like to get it flat. Maybe if Indiana takes money, I can get minus three, minus oh five, something like that. That's yep. kind of what I'm waiting for. I'm not. What's your take? Yeah, I think it closes right around three. I, 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 I'd be very surprised it goes, moves off of three. If it moves off three, I think it goes to three and a half. Yeah, I, I, I think it sits three. I do. Okay. Uh, maybe three minus 15, three minus 20 at some of the public shops, something like that. Uh, but, you know, people had a very high perception of Indiana coming into this season, and they were kind of low on Michigan. So yeah. I'd be surprised if we go to three and a half here with Michigan off of, you know, such a noteworthy loss. And with Indiana off of, you know, I mean, they, they did what they were supposed to do, I guess, last week, even though it wasn't super pretty. I do want to ask you about this game because I kind of like this game. I haven't played it as of yet. A game where I do have a pretty significant overlay, but I'm sort of waiting to see if I can get 14 at a pretty good number here. Baylor and Iowa State. I've got this game nine and a half, and I guess I've been a little bit low on Iowa State over the course of the season, but totals come down four points to 47 and a half. Matt Campbell's a great dog coach. I don't want to lay big numbers with Iowa State. I want to bet Baylor here. I just don't know if maybe I've accurately rated how far Baylor's fallen this season. Yeah, I got 11 and a half. I'm just 14 and a half, certainly. Uh, I, I'll agree with you there. Uh, maybe the you know, pizza bet for me on Baylor. I mean, they just, I had a huge overlay in their game last week against TCU. And it was 30 to nothing TCU. And I don't like TCU much this year. I mean, that's what Baylor trailed last week at one point, 30 to nothing. 
Uh, just new coach, inexperienced defense, some chemistry issues, possibly running back. Uh, maybe, maybe a couple of their top backs aren't happy. But you're right. Iowa State laying big numbers, not great, even though they covered a big number last week. They had to fight, claw, and scratch and get some late scoring to cover that against Kansas. Yeah, Baylor, nothing for me. Small potatoes, though, on the Bears. All right, fair enough. Uh, We've talked a lot about the Pac-12 already, so I guess we can kind of skip over most of the games that we discussed there uh, in that conference. We'll do a couple of highlight videos in a second on Florida, Georgia, and then I guess we'll add Clemson, Notre Dame, uh, since we already talked about the Pac-12. But I want to ask you about this West Virginia-Texas game. You know, last week I had Texas. I I said Texas should have been favored on the road and Stillwater. They win the game, but, God, the box score was just very, very ugly in that one for the Longhorns. Now they take on a West Virginia team that I think is pretty damn good. Texas laying six and a half here, 55 the total. What do you think about that one? So I got it at eight, but I understand the move, and I really think West Virginia is the sharp side. It's just I bet a couple West Virginia games already this year. They're just not consistent. I mean, when they when they are consistent, I mean, they're a very impressive team. And then, you know, you add in the fact that Texas is off. There's no question about it. That was the most misleading game of last week was the Texas-Oklahoma State game as far as a box score. West Virginia is probably off their most complete game. Even their head coach said it after the game, Neil Brown, who I really like. He said it was the most complete game he's had in the two years he's been there at West Virginia. I, I agree with the early money. I, I just uh, right now I'm, I'm not feeling like you know taking six and a half when, when I could, when seven was available uh, for about a day earlier this week. One thing I like to talk about, and I do a couple of sharp money articles over at ATS.io on Fridays. Sometimes it's the line move that doesn't happen that stands out. And when mm. I look at this game and I see a total of fifty five, and I know that West Virginia defensively has been excellent this year. Texas's metrics look a lot better than their actual performance for the most part. I would have expected money to come in on the under for this game, under 55. There's a few stray 54 and a halfs out there in the market, but nothing of great significance. And again, the line moves that don't happen sometimes say a lot. I'm surprised not to see this total coming down. And it makes me wonder, you know, sort of how the game flow and how the game state plays out. I got a theory on it. I think a lot of it's public perception because if you just do scoring averages and I had a lot of people hit me up on Twitter already this week, West Virginia, Texas over is the play. I agree with you. I think you throw, you know, Texas had three overtime games already this year. A lot of extra scoring that should not be among your, your power ratings if you're doing totals work. But I've had more than a few people hit me up wanting to bet the over. And I think, that's certainly occurring among the public, and I think maybe that's what's having to say here why the line hasn't dropped more. And I'm not going to sit here and say that West Virginia's defense is as good as Oklahoma State's. I think it's in the same zip code. But Texas last week, kick return touchdown, three scoring drives of 15 yards or fewer. They should have had virtually no points in that game last week. Yeah. So, you know, to me, I, maybe Ellinger, maybe there's something misfiring with this offense. I don't know. I, I like the under in that game. I uh, and I don't know if the line's going to go up or not, but I, I do like the under in that West Virginia and Texas game there. All right, so with that, we'll do a highlight video here for game 381, 382, Florida and Georgia neutral site game in Jacksonville. Uh, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, a little bit subdued here this year with COVID 19. What is not subdued here this week 
Is the love for Florida in the betting market? This one was four and a half, five earlier in the week. Now down to three, three and a half. Total has also fallen a little bit to 52 and a half. And professional better and handicapper Brad Powers joins me on today's show. And Brad, do you agree with the money and the movement here on Florida? I do. I am part of the Florida love. Uh, I, I would. I really loved them on that Circa opener plus six. But I, I think the move is correct in this instance on two fronts. First one, Georgia is really banged up on defense. Defense carries Georgia. They're going to have four starters out, including, you know, Richard LeConte is their uh, quarterback of their back end. Four-year starter. He's a senior. He had an accident off the field. Uh, after last week's game, he's going to be out among with a couple other guys up front for them. So George's defense, probably not as good, at least what they you know are when they're healthy. That's a major negative for me on Georgia. And, and probably the biggest reason why I bet Florida here is college football more and more is becoming about offense and quarterback play. Don't believe me. Ask Nick Saban after he played Georgia and a lot of people, including myself, think Georgia has the best defense in the country. He even said, he said, hey, look, I'm a defensive guy, but offense wins these big games. A great offense is going to beat a great defense in today's day and age in college football. And I think Florida has a great offense with Kyle Pitts. and, and, and Kyle or, Trask. Ky, yeah, Kyle Trask and, and Kyle Pitts, the, tight, the outstanding tight end for them. And, and then also Kadarius Toney who's, you know, kind of like a Percy Harvin type for them. I mean, those three guys right there, but better than anything Georgia has. And to me, Georgia has, there's a reason why Stetson Bennett was the four, uh, four string on the depth chart earlier this year. I mean, zero touchdowns, five picks his last couple of games. I just don't think he can go score for score with Kyle Trask. So Gators for me, although I obviously don't like it as much at three, like I did earlier in the week. Yeah, but I mean, at three and a half, and there are still some three and a halfs out there with reason. Take it, take the hook. I think it makes sense. And and another thing, you know what? Hell, you could just outright play the money line here in this game, too. I think that, you know, Florida has a very good chance of winning this matchup for all the reasons that you outlined. And furthermore, too, a couple of different points here. Florida's got a ton of talent on defense, and I know their defense is underachieved to this point in time, but how long does that continue being a thing? You know, especially against the Georgia offense that's not super efficient, not moving up and down the field on a whole lot of teams. Maybe Florida's defense plays up a little bit in this game. And also, too, Dan Mullen last week for Florida. I mean, Florida's gone through a lot. You know, Mullen comes out and says, I want the place full. A day later, they get a bunch of COVID cases. You know, Mullen had to put his foot in his mouth a little bit. Last week, I mean, he was there for his team. And the the players respond to that kind of thing, man. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, Kirby smart doesn't have his team or anything like that. But now all of a sudden, if you're Florida, you sit there and say, we've gone through some rough seas. We've gotten through some things. This dude's got our back. And now we're playing this big marquee game. Teams tend to respond in those situations. And I think Florida responds here in a big way. I'm glad you brought that up. That'd probably be my third the reason why I like Florida, I, I I like their little bit of their mojo this week. And, you know, I go back to you know, this game specifically. I remember several years ago dating myself now, uh, but when Mark Rick was there uh, against Urban Meyer, obviously Mark Rick consistently didn't have much success. But one year that he did, Georgia scored an early touchdown. The whole field comes, the whole team comes onto the field, celebrates. They take the 15-yard penalty and celebrate it. Georgia goes on to win that game. It was just a psychological for them. And I think Florida 
who has struggled against Georgia here as of late, I, I think what happened last week should give them uh, an extra boost. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think Florida certainly the, the, the side, and that's why I bet them. Well, there you go. There's a consensus opinion from us here on ATS Radio. Make sure you subscribe to our full ATS Radio broadcast, which you can find on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right, we'll break up the highlight videos for a second here. We'll get back to one with Clemson and Notre Dame in a minute. But I wanted to ask you about 399-400 as I wear my South Carolina Gamecock shirt today. Texas A&M and South Carolina, the Aggies laying 10 on the road, total 59 or 58 and a half for this one in Columbia at Williams-Brice. What do you think about Jimbo laying doubles on the road here? Uh, I got an overlay. I got up more in the seven range. Uh, and look, Texas A&M looks like a team to keep an eye on. They're going to be favored maybe in all of their many games. The only question mark being a road trip to Auburn. Their offensive line's playing at an elite level. They haven't allowed a sack in four games. Kellen Mond's playing well. But that being said, I mean, looks steep to me, the line. South Carolina's fresh off a bye. I think the market probably overreacted to them getting blown out against LSU uh, a couple of weeks ago. The market certainly overreacted that game with LSU last week. We saw how they ended up coming back and playing against Auburn. Uh, they can, they've, you know, I've already upset Auburn at home, competed well against Tennessee and Florida. That Gamecocks uh, plus 10. Well, what's your take? Yeah, I got a little bit of an overlay here too. I, I got this one six and a half and I did upgrade Texas A&M, uh, you know, off of last week's performance. And, you know, I had some people say something to me on Twitter about how I talked about, you know, Texas A&M's offensive line not being very good. And maybe I should clarify that, you know, Texas A&M's offensive line gets pushed around in big games, which is the point that I was trying to make. And it's been a hallmark under Jimbo Fisher, even going back to his Florida State days. This is not a spot where they should be overwhelmed on the offensive line. They should be able to push South Carolina around a little bit. And it's the reason why, despite having an overlay, I'm not going to take the Gamecocks here in this game. I sort of wonder what the state of the Gamecocks program is. And I wonder about this nationally with a lot of teams here as we go forward. You know, will these teams make coaching changes with all this COVID stuff that's going on? I think we've gotten to a point where South Carolina has really flatlined with Will Muschamp. I think that they no longer have a very high ceiling. And for South Carolina, they spent, you know, 20 years not having much of a ceiling. Then Spurrier got some quarterbacks like a Connor Shaw and stuff like that. And they got a whole lot better. I don't know what the state of the program is. It almost feels like they're just, it feels like Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Everything just kind of feels the same week in and week out with Muschamp. I don't know if off a bye is effective for South Carolina. I don't know if they've got the talent to play with Texas A&M. If they show up here and play well in this game, I don't know how much it changes my thought process about the Gamecocks going forward. So I just, as somebody who follows the program pretty closely, I just wonder if things have just gotten very stale there in Columbia. And it makes me worry about games like this where they are taking on a team that's clearly better than they are. Also doesn't help that in state, (laughs) you got top two program in Clemson. Uh, That takes some juice out of your program. Uh, When upstate there in Clemson, uh, they're rocking and rolling. Uh, I mean, I, I just, I'm not sure South Carolina is good enough as a state. Keep in mind, I mean, d- at the downfall there of the Spuriers, kind of when Dabo and company took off, it was Spurrier who owned Dabo early on. It's just, a, you know, somebody's got to not be as good in a state like that. And I'll never forget the story that I heard. And I will tell you, I heard it 
from somebody. It's secondhand. I don't know if it's completely legitimate or not. So maybe I shouldn't even say anything here on the show. And I'm going to anyway. <laughs> I, he- I heard a story that Nick Chubb was coming for his official visit to South Carolina. And Steve Spurrier went golfing instead. And this was, of course, at the tail end of his tenure there in Columbia. And it was sort of just like Spurrier at that point in time, whether it was his age or something else that just kind of checked out a little bit. And Chubb was kind of like, okay, well, you know, F you, I'm going to Georgia then. And, you know, really ever since that, ever since Spurrier wasn't as engaged, I know they pulled a couple of big recruits out of the state and stuff like that. Uh, You know, they got, of course, you know, like guys like Marshawn Lloyd and all that, but I don't know, just the the pipeline. I'm not going to say it's dried up, but it's just not as rich of a resource as it was. And I think in a game like this against a team like Texas A&M, you kind of need those rich resources. And and to me, it sort of feels like South Carolina doesn't really have them right now. And I'm hoping for the best here in this game. Uh, But, you know, even as a South Carolina fan, I will probably find myself watching Clemson Notre Dame instead. Yeah, uh, I got a sneaky suspicion though. South Carolina and Texas A&M might be a more competitive game than than Clemson-Notre Dame. Ooh, all right. Well, with that little teaser here, let's do a highlight video of game 401-402, the marquee matchup in college football for this weekend. Clemson and Notre Dame. Clemson, five-and-a-half-point favorite. That's the prevailing number market-wide. Total in this game of 52 and uh, despite your play like a champion hat that you have on today, sounds like you've got a take on this Clemson-Notre Dame matchup. Yeah, I like Clemson here. Bet them earlier in the week. It'll be very interesting to see where, where this line shapes up because right now you're in a dead range of five, five and a half. And so we'll see. Uh, I like Clemson for a multitude of reasons. Number one, I, I'm not as down, I think, on the market uh, on their true freshman quarterback, DJ Uyunglele. Uh, I, I think he's perfectly capable. I'll go even go so far that despite his inexperience, if you were to ask me, who would you rather have moving forward for this season, 2020, I'm not talking, you know, the pro as a program, the next three years, but just for this season, I'd rather have DJ Uyunglele than Ian book, the his counterpart uh, counterpart at, at Notre Dame. So that's mispricing. Number one, mispricing. Number two for me is I love the matchup of, you know, the, everyone talks about coaching matchups and whatnot, but they're usually talking head coaches. I love the coordinator matchup for Clemson. Brent Venables, one of the best to do it in college football the last two decades against a 28-year-old Tommy Reese in his first year as a coordinator. And I'm talking not just at Notre Dame, first year as a coordinator ever at Notre Dame. Significant advantage for me there with Brent Venables and Clemson. Three, uh, third mispricing for me, Notre Dame hasn't played anybody. They played one team in my top 40. It's actually the number 40 team, Louisville. We saw how that game went down. They almost lost outright. So they haven't played anybody. Major step up in class here for the Irish. And then finally, I mean, even though I'm a fan, uh, I think, and a lot of people think I'm anti and negative about Notre Dame. Well, it's because they never show up in big games. I mean, never. Against teams that finish in the top 10, Notre Dame's 4 and 40 since 1994. I mean, that's something you'd expect from Purdue or Indiana, not the Fighting Irish. 4 and 40 straight up. And a lot of you are going to say, well, they're an underdog in most of those games. They're expected to lose. Well, against the spread, they fall short by eight points per game in those 44 games. Eight points per game, they're falling short of expectation. Add that up, buddy. And that's why I, I laid, uh, you know, a couple grand on Clemson, minus four. Still like it. Minus five, five and a half. Well, 
All right. I don't, I don't know if I can really add too much to that. I mean, I guess one thing I could add is that, you know, when you, when you start talking about game state and game flow and stuff like that, you know, Notre Dame is the type of team that can play from in front against a lot of ACC teams, against a lot of the teams that are generally on their schedule, because they can just kind of lean on them, you know, use that running game, three, four yards per carry, something like that, just kind of methodically move down the field, kind of keep the other team at bay. You can't do that against Clemson. I mean, this Clemson defense, despite heavy losses, what, three, four years in a row, they're still an elite-level defense. They always will be, as long as Brent Venables is there, as long as Dabo Sweeney's still got that recruiting pipeline there. Notre Dame doesn't do anything flashy. They don't do anything super fun. When you think about the teams that, you know, have competed against Alabama, for example, it's a team like Texas A&M with Johnny Manziel that can improvise and can, you know, make broken plays turn into something. A team like Ole Miss with Hugh Freeze and all the recruits that he was able to bring in. And also just, you know, again, just athletes that went out there and made plays. You know, Notre Dame's recruiting is fine, but they don't get the same level of athletes that teams that have a chance to beat elite teams get. And that's the problem here in this one is that Clemson is just better across the field in every single area. It just is what it is. And also one other thing that I think works in Clemson's favor is that if it was Trevor Lawrence, you know what Trevor Lawrence is going to do. You've seen it for three years. It's very easy to kind of prep for that Trevor Lawrence offense. They have a much different dynamic now without Trevor Lawrence. And we saw last week, ETN used a ton as a receiver. We saw ETN get a bunch of touches in that game. I don't think Notre Dame can stop Travis ETN. So, you know, when you look at this matchup here, I think there's so much in Clemson's favor. This line is cheap because Trevor Lawrence is out. Again, if Trevor Lawrence is in there, this line's what, 13? I think is where you and I both had it when we talked about this game last week. It's Clemson. It's got to be. Yeah, and, you know, I'll say this. Travis Etienne, this is the game right here where Travis Etienne coming back probably won him the game. I, if he wasn't, if he should have, like, he should have left. I mean, kudos for him for wanting to come back and play his senior year. But that I would have major concerns for Clemson offensively if he wasn't there. But I just think he's the best. He's one of the best running backs I've ever seen, uh, especially when you consider what he can do out of the backfield, catching the ball. I, and one final thing for me here, and this is kind of the, the rubber stamp. It's November. It's at night. It's South Bend. I had season tickets there for 20 years. I know what it can be once that wind comes off uh, Lake Michigan sometimes there. But guess what? Temperatures, Saturday, 70 degrees on November. So Clemson doesn't have to worry about, you know, 35-degree temps and some wind blowing or whatnot. Going to be some good conditions. And usually when there's good conditions, the best team's going to win. Well, and furthermore here too, something we've talked about, you know, and we've seen it in the NFL where away teams have outscored home teams. We've talked about this in in various places on the show here, but you know, if if you had DJ in his second start going to a raucous and rowdy South Bend environment, that's one thing right now. You don't, you know, you have such a subdued atmosphere in so many of these venues that, you know, he's going to be able to call out plays at the line. He's going to be able to do a lot of things on third down. They're not going to get those false starts. They're not going to get those miscommunications that you might see in a traditional college football year. You know, the game's probably not going to speed up on him as much as a second game starter as it probably would have last year or any other year in college football. So I think that benefits Clemson here too. Another great point would have been one of the best atmospheres, although I'll say this. Uh, I would have fully expected to see 30,000 Clemson fans in the stands with it being their first trip there. They would have bought a lot of tickets from Notre Dame fans who are like myself uh, that, that, you know, 
grown apathetic towards the program and wouldn't mind making a, a buck or two. And that, you know, I made my buck or two betting on Clemson. Well, there you go. There's a consensus opinion from us here on Clemson and Notre Dame from ATS radio. Make sure you subscribe to the full editions of ATS radio, which you can find on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right, with that, because I don't think either one of us wants to talk about UMass and Marshall, we'll transition over <laughs> I got to an the- overlay. I'm going to be- I bet UMass, believe Did it or you- not. Oh, God. I mean, I yeah. do too. My line's 37 and a half, but I, no, it, you, I, you can't, <laughs> I can't, I, I can't. How big is your overlay that you made that play? Uh, I think like six points. So, yeah, five, five, a little more than five. <clears throat> so, you know, you're, you're a better man than I. All right. Anyway. We'll go over to the NFL where we don't see any UMass versus Marshall type games. Well, I guess we could say Jets and Chiefs last week was sort of in the same ballpark. Uh, this Thursday night game for the day of listeners, Green Bay and San Francisco, train wreck, shit show of a game, bunch of guys out on both sides, COVID, injuries, everything else. Uh, did you bet anything in this game? I mean, are you even going to follow this game? Uh Maybe under, I mean, hell, I don't know. It's going to be, you would think it's kind of like a preseason game, but, uh, you know, and I already, you know, and this was data, you know, more towards last season, but, you know, historically speaking, Levi stadium is kind of like more of an under just because of the surface and whatnot. So, uh, if you had to play it, I'm, I'm not going to lay seven with green Bay. Although, I mean, if you really needed to play a side, I guess I'd lay it with the Packers. I guess. I'm talking like Totino's Pizza. If you want a little upgrade, maybe a family restaurant type pizza, uh, maybe (laughs) uh, under for me. That's it. Nothing big. I I will say this. There's going to be a lot of Green Bay teasers in the market this week. So there will be that. Makes a lot of sense. Green Green Bay and Houston, probably? Uh, Green Bay. Yeah, that sounds about right. Green Bay, Houston. Maybe people taking Tennessee as a pick. It's not a perfect Wong teaser. You're not going through three and seven, but you know, maybe people will take Tennessee as a pick. I, I don't know. This this NFL cards, it's it's weird because you you've got several games that appear like they should be competitive. Seattle, Buffalo, close number. Denver and Atlanta. Those two teams are very Jekyll and Hyde, but the line is four. Uh, Detroit, Minnesota was four until Stafford got put on the COVID list. Now that one's off the board. Baltimore, Indy, interesting to see some Indianapolis money coming in today a little bit. That's looking like a pretty competitive game. Giants and Washington will be a, a pillow fight. Uh, you know, Vegas and the Chargers looks competitive. Miami, Arizona, New Orleans, Tampa Bay could be competitive. But at the same time, like, I, I don't know if there are a lot of sides I like in, in any of those games because close lines, but you know, largely inconsistent teams. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm struggling this year, and you know, you hear me talk about wins. I'll, I'm not afraid. I probably talk way more than I should about losers. Uh, you know, I, I don't lose as much as like I, I talk about on, on social media. You're whatnot, just self-deprecating, like all I'm of very, so, but I, I mean, I'm just gonna say I'm having my worst NFL season ever. I've never had a losing season, and I'm struggling. And, I mean, it's only half over, but I mean, I got an uphill battle. To, to, to pull out a winning season this year and, and maybe I'm just not seeing things or maybe I can just strike it up to uh I had some more often than not some poor luck but but some of it's just been COVID and it's messed me up on a few games I, I liked one side a lot this week 
and it seems like the, the, there's going to be some pushback in the market, but I really like Arizona against Miami. And that's probably my, by far my favorite bet. If I was only making one bet, and if you told me you only got to make one bet this week, it's Arizona. I, I like them coming off a bye. I, I, there hasn't been anything phony about them, I, I think, this season. Uh, I mean, I've generally been impressed now. This is two years. Uh, they've exceeded my expectations, both Cliff Kingsbury uh, and, and the quarterback there, uh, Kyler Murray. And I guess my mispricing is this. I'm not buying Tua. Uh, I'm not buying a Miami team that got out game by 300 yards last week and somehow won by double digits. To me, historically speaking, that is to fade that team the next week has been profitable for me for years, six, seven years. I'm, I mean, playing games like this. So uh, give me the Cardinals. Yeah, I, you know, initially I thought I was going to have a, a position on that game. You know, initially, especially looking at the box score from last week with Miami game. Also, too, I mean, Miami they didn't have to show a whole lot with Tua because they had you know, those weird scores and all that kind of thing. So maybe there's some element of unknown. I don't know if Tua is an NFL quarterback. I mean, I know what he did at Alabama, but also I know what Mac Jones is doing at Alabama. He's doing it just as well with less right. talent around him than Tua had. And Mac Jones, I mean, was a three-star guy. Come on. Yeah. I, and, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what Tua is. I know Miami's defense is really good. And maybe yeah, that's enough to keep me – off of this game. I also think it's a weird spot traveling to Arizona and you know, all that kind of thing. Uh, look, when I, when I look up and down the card, I know you like Baltimore. I like Baltimore too. I, I think that, you know, Baltimore is, I, there are problems with the Baltimore Ravens. I, I get it. Yep. I, I fully understand that. We saw that on display last week again, but to me, Indianapolis, I don't trust Phillip rivers in any close game. I certainly don't trust Phillip rivers in a close game against Lamar Jackson. And yeah, the Indianapolis defense is great. Find me a Lamar Jackson they've faced this year. Find me any, you know, above average quarterback they've faced this year. You may find one or two. You're not going to find a whole lot of them. So I do like Baltimore here this week. I think it's kind of a backs against the wall type of game uh, for Baltimore. Maybe rally and gel a little bit because they've got some defensive worries with COVID now with Marlon Humphrey and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, other, otherwise, just kind of bouncing around the board here. I mean, look, you know, Vegas and the Chargers, right? Seems like a good place to take the Chargers to me. You know, I know that there could be some hangover off of last week's loss. That's a possibility. But the fact of the matter is they look like a legitimate offense with Justin Herbert. They've changed some of their play calling on early downs. They've been throwing more. They put themselves in more favorable positions. The problem I have is I think the Raiders are pretty good. I think Derek Carr does what he does in this offense very well. I think John Gruden's a, a good head coach. And I do not like Anthony Lynn. So I think the Chargers are in a good spot. That's a toss-up type of game in the pick'em range. Do I want to bet Anthony Lynn against John Gruden, though? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I am going to talk myself into it. Uh, I'll bet them in that game just because you, you just can't pass on a week. <laughs> oh, no, that's true. <laughs> so, I mean, and a lot of times I just – you have only one pick, and that, that's where – to me, you know, me betting personally, I probably could do it uh, just because I'm so heavily involved on the college side. But, you know, there, I do run a service. I do sell information. Uh, so, you know, I need to have more than one NFL pick. So uh, for me, yeah, I'm probably going to talk myself into the Chargers. Going back to the other game that you talked about, you know, I didn't even realize this. Uh, and I'm glad you brought it up. And that's why I'm, I love doing this show among, uh, you know, other things. A lot of things I, li- I love doing this spot. But I'm grunting through Indianapolis schedule. You're right. 
who in the hell have they played? Jacksonville, Minnesota, the Jets, the Bears, the Browns. I mean, I don't think much of Baker Mayfield, and they did lose that game by nine. The Bengals and the Lions? Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, they're taking a major step up here. I, I know the market's against me because some money's pouring in a little bit on Indy, but, wow, they haven't played anybody. No, they haven't. I mean, you know, last They played one you- legit team and got beat by the Browns. And yeah. I don't even think the Browns are legit. No, and, and I mean, Detroit, they've got all sorts of problems that they played last week. Indianapolis was off of a bye. I think Frank Reich's an excellent head coach. That's about the only thing I, I kind of worry about in this Baltimore game this week, but he's not better than Harbaugh. So no, he's you know, not. I, I do like Baltimore in that one there. Um, you know, and, and I, I think, and this is a, a discussion that we would have to go way in depth on another day. But, you know, when I look around the NFL and there are so many of these games, not just spreads, but games in general that come down to the fourth quarter. And there are a lot of coaches in this league that have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. They do not understand time management. They do not understand timeouts. I have no Sean Payton should know better. And to see what Sean Payton did in that game last week against the Bears on uh, you know, Sunday Night Football, just unfathomable what he did in that end game situation there. And I had the Saints. And, and even – yeah, I had the Saints too in the, in the circa. And, 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 you know, even – even with guys that should know better, they just seemingly don't. And, and in the NFL here, what is the magic formula? You know, I've talked a lot about, well, take the better team, take the better quarterback. And then I have not followed through with it. And I've had listeners like, yeah, you know, like the, the Kansas City Denver game. Yeah, you know, Drew Locke and, and Vic Fangio, obviously, <laughs> yeah. quarterback. And it's like, look, I, you know, that you is it better coach, better quarterback? Is it line value? Is it or at least what you perceive to be line value. Is it the the differences in coaches in this league? Are we all just throwing shit at the wall every week and hoping it sticks? I I don't know, man. Even the coaches that seem like they should be trustworthy make these weird decisions that just don't make any sense. And the NFL every week is a struggle for me. And I know it's a struggle for a lot of people because we all call it a tight, efficient market. It's not even a struggle for me looking at the lines. It's a struggle for me of what the hell is this team? Who the hell is this coach? You know, every week it's, it's hard to, it's hard to put together a five play card for the circa. I will tell you that. <laughs> yeah. The heck yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, some of it, I mean, it's no excuses here, but I mean, some of it might be just COVID. Uh, and, but you know, I'm struggling as well. And, and you would think, I would learn my lesson, you know, the the one, what's the one stable thing going right now? I would say, I think your coach quarterback thing makes a lot of sense. I mean, Seattle's good straight up and against the spread, although I think they're overrated a little bit. Pittsburgh quarterback, uh, although he's aging, that's even a thing. You can always punch holes in almost every team. The one team that's really consistent at quarterback and coach, Kansas City, uh, that continues to win and also continues to cover even big numbers. Guess what I did? I faded them this week. I took Carolina. So I don't know. Sometimes maybe paralysis by over analysis. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I like Carolina a little bit too. And, you know, and the funny thing is I kind of said, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, look, I'm probably going to fade Carolina the game Christian McCaffrey comes back simply because they're going to put too much of their offensive game plan into Christian McCaffrey. And they're going to, you know, limit themselves on what they can do, how they can vary stuff up things like that. And they're in this situation against Kansas city. And I'm like, 
well, shit, I got a, I got a good coach, a defense that plays hard, a Kansas City team that I don't know if they're invested. Maybe they're looking ahead to the bye next week. Do they play four or five games on the road coming out of the bye? So maybe they don't care that much this week. And then they're going to go out there and win 38 to, you know, 15 or 14. And I'm going to go, I guess they cared this week. You know, it's, I don't know. Is it, you know, do you you put so much into the situational angles and the intangible angles, or should you just look at the tangible and say, you know what? This team's good. They're well coached. Their quarterback's good. They take care of the football. I'll just pay the premium. You know, yeah. God, I don't know. You pay the premium on new England all these years. And and from a historical aspect, I mean, they did something for 20 years that should be physically and humanly impossible in a very efficient NFL market. Uh, I think, you know, part of my struggle is, too, they were always my – when I'm in a hole and maybe I have a bad couple of weeks, you know the team that would pull me out of it would be the Patriots. And I don't have that, you know, uh, <laughs> phone a friend anymore. I don't have that jail out of free card betting on the Patriots. I bet on them a couple of times and they've come up short and they've disappointed me greatly. I think that's part of a little bit of my personal problem with the NFL this year. And I think it's that mental block of, you know, we, we both know that this market is, is efficient. You know, we both know that, that yep. by the time these games go off on Sunday, in theory, the line is exactly where it should be. All the value has been extracted from either side, both spread and total. And I think one of my problems is, and I used to play a lot of poker and God, I wish I still could because I really miss it. But you always tried to make that hero call. You know, you had King high and you're sitting there thinking, this guy's straight bluffing. I'm going to make this hero call. Everyone at the table is going to go, wow. You know, and then you make that hero call with the King high and he's got, you know, two pair or something like that. And you just look like a complete jackass, you know, fold the hand. You know, just make the smart call, <laughs> fold the hand. Don't try to do something too cute to try and impress yourself or impress somebody else or whatever else. And I think a lot of times we fall into that trap with the NFL market of, man, I'm going to get real cute here. You know, I'm going to take this team because nobody wants to take this team. You know why nobody wants to take that team? Because they're effing terrible. And I think that I fall into that trap so many times here in the NFL where I try to get too cute. I don't simplify my handicap. I don't sit there and say, you know what? This team's just a hell of a lot better. And I know I'm paying a premium, but I'm going to take them anyway. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a recipe for success either. Cause then the team that's really, really good. is going to go minus two in turnovers for the first time all season and not cover the number. But to me, I don't know. Maybe the NFL just needs to be this ridiculously simplistic handicap of play the good teams, fade the bad teams and hope you get the mediocre teams in the right spot. <laughs> uh, I could see it a little bit this year because your worst teams aren't covering. I mean, the Jets and the Cowboys, and you're certainly starting to pay premiums. Well, uh, let, against... let's, let's talk about this. Pittsburgh and yeah. Dallas, right? You and I both talked about this game yeah. the show off air. Pittsburgh's in a god all. I mean, this might be the Horrible. worst spot. One of the, the worst season. spots ever. And Dallas is just that bad that maybe 14's not enough. And are we going to fall into the trap, you and I, of taking Dallas? And then Pittsburgh wins, you know, 28 to seven. I, yep. that, is that probably, the, I mean, I'm yeah, probably I'm going to take Dallas plus 14. I, I, I mean, I want to take 14 and a half. I want to see where the market positions itself, but I'm going to take it uh, because I want to be the smartest guy in the room and nobody wants to bet Dallas. And you know, they're, they're all eight against the spread and they're taking on the, the un, last remaining unbeaten team. Yeah. I just want to shove it in everybody's face. I'll take Dallas. Although, 
Uh, <laughs> not not as strong. I'm not going to be floating a big couple thousand dollar ticket on the Cowboys like it was Clemson against Notre Dame. But yeah, I I'm not afraid to do it. Uh, and it'll probably end up blowing it in my face. I'll, I'll have a bet on Dallas when it's all said and done this week. Or even something else like the Giants in Washington. Like, I, the Giants play hard, right? I mean, they they played very hard against Tampa Bay. They could they have do. realistically won that game. They play hard. But you could make a case that neither one of those teams is worth your money in that Giants in Washington game. And I'm going to sit here. I'm going to stare that game down. And I know it's two and a half now, and it was three and a half early in the week. I'm going to stare that game down. And I'm going to try and talk myself into one of those two teams when the reality Uh is neither team is probably worth taking in the circa, but I may end up on one of them because I'm going to sit there and I'm going to try and force this position, force myself to think there's something actionable there because I don't want to go up against a game where there's maybe two good teams or, or two teams that are very, you know, inconsistent. I know that these two teams are consistently bad, so I'll sit there and think to myself, well, I'll pick the one that's less bad. And I did that with the Giants in the first meeting, and they almost lost the game outright and failed to cover. So I don't know. Maybe I just I don't learn lessons, or maybe I'm not learning the right lessons in the NFL. But like I said, man, I'm trying to make hero calls on every game, and, and maybe I should just you know look at what's in front of me instead. And yeah, you're still 59-60% in circuit. Right? So no, it's not that bad, man. No. God, I hate betting the NFL. I swear. I just, again, there, there's some there's some different rant I can climb on my soapbox about every single week. Last week, it was, you know, timeout usage and clock management and, and you know, proven coaches doing stupid shit at the, end of, at the ends of games. So I guess just tune in next Thursday and we'll see what I have to bitch about then. I always, I'm here for you, buddy. <laughs> I know you are. Uh, we, we, this show is very therapeutic for both of us. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and uh, you know what? It's always great to chat here on the show with Brad Powers, professional better and handicapper from bradpowersports.com. And what's up over at the website this week, man? You know what? I said I was going to do it and, and I did. I dropped the price on my newsletter and one year I towed it up a little uh, this, but it's nine bucks for the rest of the season, college and pro game right up on every single game where we have every conference playing in football. It's going to be a race. It's not like you just got one month of football and then it's bowl games. I mean, basically got almost two months of football because everybody's playing regular season games for three weeks in December. So, uh, you got plenty of football action, both college and the NFL. And for the rest of the entire season, it's 49 bucks. Uh, we're having my best year ever as far as college football. We're also having my worst year ever as far as the NFL. Add that all up and you're 56%, which uh, is what I am historically in the last six years in that newsletter. So if you want to win a little bit more than you lose, it's for you. If you just want to look at power ratings information on every single game, every single week, that's why you buy it. 49 bucks for powersports.com. Yeah, make sure you follow Brad on Twitter at Brad Powers and the number seven. Brad, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me, brother. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good, buddy. There you go. There's Brad Powers. Once again, professional better and handicapper Brad Powers over at bradpowersports.com at Brad Powers and the number seven on Twitter. Coming up on Friday after that rant about the NFL, I'll come up with some thoughts for week nine in the Circus Sports Million, give you an update on where everything stands in the contest, my picks, my leans here as we head on into the weekend. I'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.